Hello and welcome. We're glad that you're joining us for episode eight of Divergent by Design, a podcast that is dedicated to exploring the ways that you can use universal design for learning in your classroom. My name is Lynn Kleinmeyer, and I am joined today by the venerable Jonathan Wiley. Maybe I just won't say anything about venerable this week. I'll just move on and let everybody pretend that I am venerable. Um, but you do deserve a great deal of respect because of your wisdom and your character. I mean, there's the whole age thing in there, but I mean, not because of the age. Not not because of... No, I didn't choose it because of age, Jonathan. Just my deep respect for your wisdom that Mm -hmm. you bring to every single episode. Feel like you've tainted the waters. Move on, Lynn I mean, Kleinmeyer. Okay, Move I'm on. So sorry. All right. So episode eight. Here we are. Uh, so what are we talking about today, Jonathan? Yes. So today we are talking about expression and communication, and our episode title: multiple means of demonstrating understanding. So this is the fun part. I think this is where we are getting students to help solidify their thinking and to share what they know and. As I've talked to some people in the past, this is an easy entry point for some people into that UDL framework where they start to think about, you know, well, there's lots of stuff in here. Where should I start? And definitely in our line of work as digital learning consultants, I think this is one way where people start to think, yeah, I can do that. I can give people choices and show them different tools and and see how that works. So where should we start? Well, um, let me just true confession time for myself, mm-hmm. this personal connection moment. You know, I, I like that you're talking about the entry point. Um, this was probably one of the pieces for the UDL framework that really made me kind of do a self audit and take a step back because um, it just raised my awareness to my own practices in the classroom. Now, it's no secret that I have a deep affinity for the written word. Um, I fully recognize that as a former ELA teacher that I deeply, deeply, deeply um, relied on one modality when it came to asking my students to express or demonstrate their understanding. What would that modality be, Lynn? Well, that would be text, Um, whether that was asking them to write it out physically themselves or, um, you know, create an essay or something like that. Um, This was one of those moments for the UDL framework, like you said, that really helped me think about, oh, there's other possibilities and there's there are multiple pathways and recognizing that for some that one modality of asking them to show me what they knew without thinking about oh gosh what barriers was i accidentally putting up um that prohibited them from truly showing me what they were thinking and what they knew um this was definitely one that made me take a step back. So we're making this episode for Lynn Kleinmeier of 10 years ago. We're going to go back in our time machine and uh, drop this one into her inbox and help her along the way a little bit. Yes, yes. Some Today, hopefully offering some um, considerations and some options beyond maybe uh, some of the things that we kind of fall back on our tried and trues and, and helping us diverge in our thinking. See what I did there? I see what you did there. I'm picking that one up. <laughs> I mean, there are definitely times where, you know, specific media and materials are critical to that goal. And being an ELA teacher, you know, you are 
your your job is to assess some of those mechanics of writing and the grammar and the sentence structure and things. So I think it's only natural that you would have turned to text and the written word for for things like that. But if your goal is not tied specifically to a, a medium, like maybe in art, you might be you know using paint, or maybe if you were um, learning to handwrite with calligraphy, then there are. It's good to know that there are other options out there, especially in this technological age that we live in. The options are plentiful. Yes, and. I think one of the things that I, I really want to highlight and surface here, and it does circle back to other components of the UDL guidelines, but this idea of when we are asking our students to demonstrate their knowledge, we as teachers have to have deep clarity um, around the goals um, and the standards that we're attempting to address. And I know you and I are both reading this book, uh, Dive Into UDL, and it really does surface this idea of teacher clarity. Yeah. Of understanding, are, are you attempting to assess knowledge or a skill? And maybe sometimes there's going to be a little bit of both, but really thinking intentionally about what it is that you're attempting to gain insights for with your students and being aware of matching your purpose with the modalities out there. Um, because, for example, in my my side of things. Jonathan, you're exactly right. As an ELA teacher, I did need to ask my students to write. But in only giving them the option to write, um, unfortunately, I was I was creating a barrier that prohibited um, me from gaining huge insight. So if my goal was not about the construction of a you know sentence, for example, thinking about, okay, could I ask them to use speech to text? Could I have asked them to do a video? Um, and then we start thinking about all the possibilities that are out there and thinking about student interests. And then we start getting into things like illustrations and comics and dance and music and uh, visual arts and sculptures. And okay, so maybe I'm getting a little wild and crazy here, uh, but thinking about are there other options that would help gain insight that would still help students demonstrate that they're mastering whatever it is, the content or the concept that we're asking from them in a way that makes sense for them. Yeah, and I think you're right. It, it does all start with that teacher clarity part. And if I take a, a parallel path to that, it reminds me of some of the work we've done in our team and at the agency here around Hattie and his visible learning, John Hattie's visible learning and his meta research there because teacher clarity there, I just looked it up, 0.75 effect size. So yeah, that was almost double what a year's growth would be for a student. You know, that That is the, the impact that something like that has. So if we have those goals clear in our minds and we can drill down to exactly what it is we want students to learn about, then it kind of more naturally opens up those avenues for thinking about, well, how could the students demonstrate this through their dance and their sculpture and all those other amazing things that you brought up there. So the only problem that I sometimes have when I think about that or when I'm talking to teachers about things like this is the, the alarm bells that go off in their head a little bit in terms of, okay, I, I can get on board with some flexibility here in terms of methodology, but 
how do I assess all that? What is <laughs> what does that look like when you know one student's handing in a video and another's handing in a written essay and another's handing in a podcast and what is what what is how do I what do I do with all this stuff? How do I make sure that I'm being fair to all my students? Right. How do you like prevent yourself from breaking out in a cold sweat of thinking about the management of all of those things? Okay. So offering a couple uh, tips, words of advice. One of the things that I think about. Um, especially when that we talk about assessment, um, this idea of we don't have to have different rubrics for all of these different projects. You could actually use a holistic rubric, a rubric that hones in on not the product, but the information that's being shared. So I think about um, examples like, okay, if you're um, – trying to address in math the idea of addition and subtraction with whole numbers and do students understand that concept? Mm -hmm. Well, then you could have a rubric that is applicable to all sorts of different ways of demonstration. So it could be a video where a kid narrates their thinking. It could be the paper pencil where you're seeing like the students working through. It could be the use of manipulatives. And so, um, that would be one idea that I would throw out there. If you have that clarity around the standards and, and understanding what it is that you need to see from students to understand that they really have this concept, they've mastered it, then you can have one rubric to rule them all, all the modalities of how students actually demonstrate that. Yeah, so maybe part of this idea is having a maybe a more focused or maybe even a more minimal rubric because sometimes we get carried away with the rubrics and we put the same things on there like, you know, spelling, grammar usage and things like that. And you wonder, well, I mean, that's important, but is it important to adding and subtracting numbers? Not necessarily. I mean, as long as they can communicate what they're doing and that they have the um, the skills to do that, then, you know, that part you could maybe leave off the rubric just to so just think about different ways that, that students could uh, submit things to you and, and show what they know and meet those goals from your rubric. Yeah. The other word of advice I would maybe offer is um, slowly but surely having that gradual release of responsibility to students um, in a way that's manageable, not only for you as a teacher, but Let's also be real, manageable for our students themselves. So the idea of having a choice board, um, for example, that has these different options and modalities of maybe some tools that students are already familiar with that could be leveraged to gain that insight. So speaking of tools, Jonathan, I mean, we are digital learning consultants. Mm -hmm. So let's talk just a brief moment because we could record for hours on end. But if you're thinking about different tools that could be leveraged to gain insights on what students know, what would be your top pick? So things that would be on this little menu of choices mm -hmm. that students could mm -hmm. pick from. Yeah. Um, I think I, I like lots of different tools. Um, the ones I like are generally the ones that are most flexible, the ones like you've said to me in the past about ones that work across grade levels, ones that are free are always good. <laughs> free is fantastic. So maybe just for the sake of argument, I'll, I'll throw in Flipgrid. I think that's a nice, easy one that's approachable for all kinds of kids and all kinds of grade levels. 
it keeps all of your work in one place as well. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to have a, a one-stop shop for some of this stuff, but it does still give the students options in how they respond to things because Flipgrid will now let you do um, a video where the students will be talking to their webcam. It lets uh, students do screencasting. So maybe they're, you know, doing whiteboardy type things or they're going through a Google slide deck or they're, you know, showing a, a website or something. It lets them record just audio and it also lets them do text comments as well. So I think just with that one tool alone, there's there's lots of options there. And it also has our friend, the immersive reader built in oh, so yes. that if kids are accessing each other's content or even just trying to decipher what it is that the teacher is asking you to do, then that is built in there too. Yeah. That's a that's a good one. That's I thought I'd start with a big heavy hitter, so yeah, I'm batting yeah. that one back to you. Oh. Where do you go next? Well, mm, that, that's a good one. It's hard to follow up, but I think about um, my affinity for tools that make learning visible. Um, so I think about one of my oldies but goodies, mm -hmm. Book Creator. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I love Book Creator because, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, um, it it is kind of a presentation kind of tool. I mean, it's it's reminiscent of like Google Slides or PowerPoint in, in some of the features. But what I love is that it actually provides different insights too. So yes, you have the text piece where you can add text, but you also have images, you have videos, you can add audio, you can add drawings. There's It, it just becomes a little bit more robust and students can layer these things in that really in a way that really truly lets you kind of understand what they're thinking and why they chose things. And it just gives you that extra little bit of insight um, into their mastery and, and if they've owned the learning piece. Yeah, and it's another flexible tool as well, I think. It's, you know, you could have students um, typing text. I know you're a lover of the written word. <laughs> I, I do. So they can absolutely do that. Uh, and maybe it, it supports things like speech-to-text tools, um, but they can also record audio. They can also record video. They can put graphics in there. It's a real multimedia type of tool to help demonstrate some of that learning on there. So that's a good one. Um, another one I might go to on a on a regular basis. I, I, I love working in Canva and the new Canva for Education program is really great for teachers as well. You can get accounts for your kids and open up all kinds of extra stuff to them. So I don't know, we're talking about, you know, expressing things in different ways. I mean, you could be making infographics with Canva. You could mm -hmm. be making flyers. You could be doing like um, charts and, and, and presentations inside of Canva. You can do all kinds of things with Canva now. I think it's really flexible and it's got a lot of nice built-in templates, which, you know, we'll talk later, I think, about exemplars and things for students. But just as a, as a little starting point, some inspiration, some this is what it could look like. And then you, you riff off that and you let your creativity shine through. I appreciated what you were just talking about there about infographics, I just, I really kind of honed in on that. This idea of um, different representation options that really not only allowing kids to demonstrate in a different modality, but also one of the pieces that I do want to really hone in on for this part of the UDL guidelines is this idea of multiple tools or pathways for construction of understanding and in that composition piece, because I do think that sometimes um, 
we assume that students know how to gather their thoughts and express them in this academic way, and that's not necessarily true. And so thinking about um, helping use or leverage tools or resources that really have that optimal match for students, um, thinking about not just being text-dependent but also graphic or visual um, representations as well. And so just kind of shifting thinking when it comes to that part too. Yeah, so this is almost like taking a step back from that finished product. And we're, we're mm -hmm. thinking about the tools that they're going to use to create that finished product and the format that that takes. But if you take a step back from that and you think, okay, how can we help scaffold that final product? How can we help get them to create that infographic or that podcast or that video? Or mm -hmm. what are the things that they might need help with along the way in order to, to build that and make that happen? So some examples of that? Well, I, I circle back to our um, previous conversation with Lisa Klein, and I think about, she talked about having suggestions of sentence starters. And so, I mean, that can kind of prompt thinking and help students organize thoughts and, and have that clarity so that they can communicate their ideas. But I also think um, it's not cheating to let your students have um, access to things like the word prediction. And I think about Google Docs um, just as a way for them to kind of clarify their own thinking and construct um, those thoughts in a way that are going to be able to be expressed to, to others. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm breaking the fourth wall here or pulling <laughs> back the curtain, but you know, Lynn and I, we're, we're having this conversation with you guys today over the medium of podcasting, but it's not without some scaffolding or support for no. us. We are looking at a Google Doc right now with some talking points and things that are on there. Those are necessary for us in order to make our thinking coherent and understandable for, for you guys as the listener, but it's exactly the same for students. You know, we have to look at ways that we can scaffold that final product for them. I mean, I, I talk to this to, uh, to teachers when I do my screencasting class about how they need to have maybe some bullet points or some things that they want to talk about during their screencast because we all just get off on a tangent sometimes <laughs> or we forget things or we just uh, lose our train of thought and things like that just help keep us on task and help us do what we need to do to get that final product done. Right. Well, and I love, um, we often have common language, but not common understanding. And one of the components of this UDL guideline as well, uh, talks about building fluencies with graduated levels of support for practice and performance. Now that is a lot to dissect. And so this idea of fluency really being about the ability to express yourself um, easily and articulately, <laughs> we, we have to um, provide some resources for our students in order to be able to move kind of to that ownership of the learning process. So thinking about how important it is um, to mentor our students and pull back that curtain, like you just did, Jonathan, that sharing, you know, we we do often have like random conversations and think to ourselves, we should have recorded that. Yeah. <laughs> but when we sit down in front of the microphones, let's be super honest, I need um, this organized document that's going to help me stay on task and not birdwalk and give Jonathan 75 edits. Um, but it also helps me clarify my thinking in terms of what it is I want to share. And that's not cheating. 
Mm -hmm. That's helping kids process and organize their ideas so that they can really show what they know. Yeah, and even like from an instructor's point of view, from a teacher's point of view, that that's the reason why we do lesson plans. We want to make sure that we are hitting the targets that we need to do and that we are asking the right questions and that we are being specific and goal-directed in the lessons that we're, we're doing with students. It's, it's exactly the same concept and idea. You know, another piece that I do want to highlight here, um, well, two actually. The first is this idea of really providing that scaffold of mentors for students. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and once again, I think we've mentioned this multiple times in the podcast that learning really is a social endeavor. And so part of the scaffold that you can provide for your students is an opportunity to talk to their classmates because what that allows for students to do is have that exchange of ideas, that push and pull, and it provides that extra little bit of clarity, the solidification of kind of their thoughts um, and helps them grapple with these big ideas so that they can then share their thoughts and their understanding with that little extra clarity. Yeah, I think it can be a less threatening environment than, you know, if you did something like that whole class and you were like, so who's got some ideas for Lynn? <laughs> and Lynn's sitting there looking at her shoes thinking, I don't know, I don't know if I like this, but you can, if you have some kind of trust with the person that, that you're working with, then you can have some honest conversations about that kind of thing. And sometimes, you know, a peer might put things in a way that you're going to understand better than if the teacher put it that way sometimes mm-hmm. just because you have a different you know, language and vocabulary or uh, the way that you, you see the world is, is more similar to one of your peers than perhaps your instructor. But uh, lots of great opportunities there for students to, to help support each other. So what was the second thing you wanted to talk about? Well, the other piece, and it kind of circles back, we talked about in the engagement um, aspects or the podcast that we've done so far about this idea of um, having rubrics and and being very uh, transparent from the beginning of kind of what success looks like. Mm -hmm. And I want to surface that here as well, because if our ultimate goal is that students own the learning and that they are demonstrating um, their knowledge, their mastery, their understanding, one of the scaffolds um, suggested is to share exemplars with students. And I know this is kind of a controversial thing for some teachers. Um, and I'm kind of curious your your thoughts, your take on providing exemplars. Well, as I think back to my time in the classroom, I, I don't know if my use of exemplars was always 100% successful, or at least in the way that I wanted it to be. I mean, I think we all think when we show students an example of a piece of written work or a piece of art or a piece of whatever, it's going to instantly inspire them and they're going to go, yes, I know how (laughs) to make my version of that. Because the problem I always had, I think, with that was that oftentimes students would try and recreate my exemplars and they would have very similar things to my exemplars and I'm like well that's good but and I, <laughs> and I know why you're doing that but it was just it was a challenge for me sometimes to try and promote that independent thought yeah and I struggled with the same thing as a seventh grade reading teacher that 
I wonder a little bit if it would have shifted if I had reframed how I shared those exemplars mm-hmm. in not having an emphasis on the product so much, um, but really emphasizing um, that it's a possibility of where things could go. Um, I think I'm a huge fan of uh, John Spencer and AJ Giuliani's launch because as a creative person, I get overwhelmed with all the possibilities and all the things. And so it actually really does help me as a creative person to see examples of what other people have done before because it gives me a starting point. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that's that's what we want. We want to give our kids a starting point to see what the possibilities are. Um, and ultimately, we do hope that they take it from there. They make it their own. But I also think it's kind of uh, telling for us as educators when our students don't, when they do just copy, because it's kind of an indication for us that perhaps they they have not truly owned the learning or owned the information or owned the skill at in a way that made it their own. Yeah. So that was a lot to, to process and, and think about. So if you had to create some sort of summary of all the things that we just said, what would be your, your summary or your takeaway, Jonathan? Today, we talked about having multiple means for students to show what they know, different ways that they can achieve the objective or the goal of your lesson beyond that one medium that might be your go-to medium. So we talked about text, speech, drawings, illustrations, storyboards, videos, all of that kind of stuff as a possible outcome um, for your projects. And then, you know, maybe just taking one step back from that, thinking about the tools that we can give students to help scaffold them so that they can achieve that final goal. Maybe some speech to text or some spell checkers or sentence starters or word prediction tools. And lastly, we just finished up there talking about maybe what those graduated levels of support might be for practice and performance, whether that is, you know, an exemplar or, you know, just kind of some kind of starting point, some inspiration to help students get started. Because sometimes, as everybody knows, getting started is the hardest part of any project. That first step is a big one sometimes. It's a doozy. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, scaffolding and supporting and giving you a starting point, The resources that we have gathered for you to explore for this particular episode are really meant to help you um, as you begin to think divergently. Um, See what I did there again? Mm -hmm. About how you invite students to share what they know. And we talked about really a lot of times when we're asking our students to demonstrate their knowledge, it's really kind of about assessment. Because assessment is gathering information so that you have those insights of what students do or do not understand. Both are telling. So to challenge your thinking, uh, we have gathered a couple of resources for you to explore this episode. And these resources are meant to help scaffold and support you as you begin to think divergently uh, about how you invite students to share what they know. We've mentioned this idea of assessment a couple times. And and really, in my mind, that's kind of what we're doing um, when we're thinking about asking students to demonstrate what they know. We're assessing what they do or do not know so that we can make some instructional decisions. 
So to help scaffold you, we have two resources. The first one, I'm a huge fan. It is a resource from Katie Novak that really helps you think about designing an assessment using the principles of UDL. And what I really love about this particular resource is that it's five steps that really do feel pretty manageable. And you'll notice that they're somewhat aligned to our conversation uh, that we had within this podcast. For example, step one is really about being super clear in your own mind about the standard or goal that you're attempting to address and really knowing, is this a knowledge piece? Is this a skill piece? Or is it going to be both? And then I love she helps kind of clarify your thinking when it comes to, okay, exactly what do you need to see in order to be confident that your students know or can do whatever it was that you decided that they needed to do. Um, And it guides you through this whole process of how can you create assessments that are both respectful of your students, but also respectful of your goals. Yeah, and I think the biggest compliment I can give to this document is it's a three-pager, but it feels like a one-pager, I think, you know, because it's so easy to follow, like you said, the the step-by-step approach. And it's the kind of document that, you know, once you've been through it a couple of times as you're thinking about your assessments, you'll think, oh, okay, I got this. I can do this. It'll just easily work its way into your revised way of thinking. Exactly. And we have a second one for you, um, another option, if you will. Um, This second option is a resource developed by CAST that is their UDL tips for assessment. Um, And what I do appreciate about this document is it is a little bit longer. It's a five-pager. But they have some key considerations outlined. But what I really love is for each of those key thoughts – They've got like a little box that gives you some think abouts. When I see these little think abouts there, it's, it's almost like that inner voice in your head, just <laughs> like prompting you with little questions and comments along the way. So those are, those, are, those are a key part of that document. Yes. So truthfully, our challenge is to um, do a little bit of self-reflection on how you ask students to demonstrate their knowledge of, in your classroom, but we wanted to provide you with some scaffolding and support so that you can think about some next steps or maybe some ways to continue to improve upon your practice. We can all get better at these sorts of things, right? Exactly. We're always learning, always striving to be expert learners, right? Every day is a school day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we hope that these challenges and the episode itself have provided you with some grounding and will help you keep growing. Our music for the podcast is What's the Angle by Shane Ivers of SilvermanSound.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license.